Hello, everyone. It's your host of the Micro Moment, John. And Tess. And before we start this episode, we have a couple of things to say that we're super excited about. That's right. It's the one year anniversary of the Micro Moment. We're one years old. Yay! Not just that, it's our 50th episode as well. Can you believe it? We've had 50 episodes. I can't believe it either. But we just wanted to say thank you to everyone who listened to our podcast. It means a lot to us. We would not have been able to do this without your support. And for that, we are truly, truly grateful. That being said, we are nowhere close to being done with this podcast. It's just the beginning. Just the beginning. There's so much more to come. And we hope you continue to follow us on this journey. Well, you and your microbes, of course. That's right. We can't forget them. All right, everyone. Let's get to the episode. And this one is going to be good. Hello, Microbial Nation, and welcome to another episode of the Micro Moments Spooky Edition. It's that show that takes you down to the microscopic level to view the world just a little bit differently. I'm your host, Tess. And I'm John, and today we continue our stories about monstrous microbes. Yes, indeed. So if you're new to the channel or new to Microbi Gals, this spooky season, we put together 13 classic Halloween creatures and paired them with 13 monstrous microbes, although not all of them are that monstrous. Last week on the podcast, if you missed it, we talked about witches and the Salem Witch Trial particularly, and the role Claviceps and Irgot and Rye may have played in causing the witch trials. And in today's episode, we talk about vampirism, specifically New England, and how tuberculosis was the factor in that. Yeah, so continuing on our tour of Nightmare New England's microbe moments. But first, we have another freebie for y'all. Another freebie. Indeed. So over the last couple of months, John and I put together a cocktail book. It's a microbe-inspired cocktails. And let me tell you, we had some delicious drinks in them. Indeed. So if you'd like to kick up your cocktail game with these fun science-themed cocktails, sure to impress at any party, both in taste and knowledge, Microbigale's microbe-inspired cocktail book showcases eight tantalizing, wildly different drinks from beer to gin and non-alcoholic drink recipes and are also included. Accompanying each drink is fun facts to quiz your friends or showcase your microbial know-how. What was your favorite drink? Ooh, that's a tough one. I really enjoyed Tough by Tardigrade because dragon's milk and ice cream and vodka. I mean, that's my jam. I'd have to say it was either that one or Plague Water was my favorite. Mm, Yeah, Plague Water was really good, too. Both are sure to get you drunk or get you buzzed, at least, I think, one and done. So always drink responsibly. That's all I got to say. And you can have your very own microbe-inspired cocktail book by simply signing up to our newsletter. And you can find a link to that in the show notes. And before we start into our story today, if you're looking for all 13 of our monstrous microbes, you can find them on our website at microbigals.com. That's M-I-C-R-O-B-I-G-A-L-S dot com. 
Yes, there are some really fun stories in there. And we this is probably my favorite segment that we do every year. It's just so much fun. I love it. And it's not just because I love Halloween. Maybe <laughs> it is, though. I, I think that has a big factor in it. Mm, potentially. And as always, if you like our show, you should share it with a friend. Or two. Or four. <laughs> or eight. Or 16. And if you like our show and would like to support it, don't forget that we have a Ko-fi page that you can donate to if you feel so inclined. But if you don't have uh, the funds to do so, and we know this time of year can be really hard for people, what can help us even more is just sharing the podcast with a couple of friends. That would make us so happy because we'd love to talk microbes with more people and grow our community of microbe enthusiasts. And one last thing before we begin, we have to talk about last week's Murderous Micro Moment. Oh, yeah, that's right. So last week, we had a segment called Murderous Micro Moments, where I gave three clues about a famous person who died by micro. The three clues, once again, were... Clue number one, this person wrote about murderous micro moments with a story about the powerlessness of humans to evade the mighty microbes. No matter how beautiful your house, how luxurious your clothing, or how rich the food, no one can buy their way out of a pandemic. Clue number two, this person mysteriously died at the age of 40, and the cause of death is still an enigma today. Possible causes of disease include diabetes, heart disease, epilepsy, tuberculosis, rabies, and even death by voter fraud. So spooky. And then our final clue for this monstrous or this murderous micro moment is this 19th century poet's soul may have been black as death, but it was the white plague that eventually took not only his mother's life, but also his wife's life. So we asked you guys to send us, if you knew who it was, to send us a Gmail or connect with us on social media. And a lot of you did, and you had some excellent answers. I was really blown away about how many of you played our little game here. So we will continue it this week. But first, John, who was last week's murderous microbe moment about? I don't know if this is a word, but the macabrous Edgar Allan Poe. Indeed. So Edgar Allan Poe was last week's. Murderous micro moment. And today we have another murderous micro moment that does tie into John's monstrous microbe. So, do you have the first clue for us before we start? Yes, I will give you clue number one and then we'll get right into Nightmare New England micro moment. Clue number one This beloved person in American history was born on October 11th, 1884. When this person was eight, their mother died of diphtheria, which is not a disease we hear much about anymore because of the Tdap vaccine. Diphtheria is a serious infection caused by strains of bacteria called Corineobacterium diphtheriae. Hmm. Any ideas? Uh, mm, not yet. <laughs> All right. I'll give you clue two in a little bit. All right. So, John, why don't you get us started with vampires? All right. So my story revolves around talking about the White Plague. The White Plague. Or more commonly known as tuberculosis and its effect on New England. Or consumption, right? Sometimes it's just called consumption. Right. 
Oh, and I'll be giving you a couple more names. There's one that I really love, but... Oh, I'm excited. Can't wait. Let's, yeah. Let's get into it. So this disease has been afflicting humankind for possibly three million years. And this is based off of uh, bones and fossils that we have found. And it has a written history of at least 3,000 years, if wow. not more. So it's been hand-in-hand hand with this uh, bacteria for a long time. But... Before we dive into the story, I want to give a little background about this disease and the pathogenic that causes it. Now, you've probably heard of tuberculosis before, but what exactly is it? It's an infection that usually affects the lungs and is caused mainly by the bacteria Mycobacterium tuberculosis and occasionally Mycobacterium bovis, which is a bacteria that affects mainly cows. This is the same genus that causes leprosy, right? Yep. And true to its name, that bacteria is Mycobacterium leprae. Which is another disease that has plagued humanity for a very long time. Yeah. So, like I said, tuberculosis has gone by many names. The Hebrew language calls it the wasting disease. The Romans called it tabes, which is Latin for emaciation. And in the 1800s, it was referred to as consumption, like you said. But my favorite is the captain of all these men of death. (laughs) That's not even a name. What is that? What was the other one that we had with Petri dish? Stop thy gallant or something. Uh, Stop thy gallant. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I like this one. The captain of all these men of death. That's pretty good. Yeah, we'll have to tell Petri dish that one. I think I like that too. Now, this bacterium is uh, rod shaped and is a little unique. Because it's referred to as an acid-fast bacteria. This is based on its cell wall composition, which includes things like mycolic acid, core factor, and wax D. Now, to keep it simple, these acids work together to protect the bacteria from things like lysozymes and reactive oxygen species, complement deposition from our own immune system, acidic and basic compounds, and many types of antibiotics, as well as inhibiting some immune cell functions, like movement. And it's because of these acids that they need a special stain in order to see them under a microscope. And that's called acid fasting. But that's a story for a different time. (laughs) But once in the lungs, the bacteria establish resonance and can remain dormant for years This is known as latent TB. Mm. The body tries to fight it off by encapsulating the bacteria with immune cells in the lungs. But it's mainly unsuccessful in clearing the infection. Since the bacteria surround it, it cannot spread to other parts of the body or become infectious to other people. In fact, people may go their entire lifetime without becoming sick from this latent TB. Wow. Yeah. However... That being said, the bacteria may become active and start multiplying. This is generally when people's immune system becomes compromised. And this results in symptoms such as coughing, chest pain, weight loss, fatigue, chills, night sweats, and, as you've seen in many movies, when there's coughing, blood comes up too. Mm, Yeah, that's a telltale sign that Hollywood loves about consumption. Yep. And this can occur weeks to years after the bacteria has entered the lungs and can now spread to other people. 
The bacteria can even move to different parts of the body, such as the brain or kidneys, and this is known as disseminated tuberculosis. Without treatment, the active disease is almost always fatal, but a combination of three to four antibiotics are used to combat this infection. Those that have a non-resistant infection generally have to take them for six to nine months. Wow. Yeah, it's a long, it's slow and long process. And those that have a resistant uh, mycobacterium tuberculosis, that can take up to 30 months of treatment to clear it. Oh my God. Are you like quarantined the whole time or do you, um, is there like a waiting period that you have to quarantine so you don't spread or are you always contagious? I think, if I remember correctly, if you're taking antibiotics, there's a, a period of time where you are quarantined, but then it's considered you're considered like safe enough to go outside. How mm. long that is, I can't remember off the top of my head. Mm. But I have to say that in the U.S., we are very aggressive about TB treatment. So we have this uh, system of health professional will come to you, and they have to visualize you taking the medication. And this helps prevent any antibiotic resistance, any transmission, and it it has kept rates of tuberculosis very low in America and is very successful. Mm. Well, now, right? Because back in the day, it was pretty prominent in American history. Right. When conquering the Wild West. So do you have any statistics about tuberculosis? Yeah, I have a couple things I can talk about with tuberculosis. So tuberculosis, as we said, is not a huge problem in America today, but it's also, it is a huge problem in other parts of the world. So, for instance, in 2019, tuberculosis was reported in 3,150 Asian persons in the United States. So that's 36% of all reported TB in America is from Asian populations. About 20% comes from Black or African-American persons and 30% from Hispanic persons. So this is a disease that is still affecting America, a lot of Americans, every single year. Another place that is very common to contract TB is in correctional facilities, in jails, and this is a huge problem in Russia. TB in correctional settings is a huge public health concern across the globe. In 2019, according to the CDC, 3.1% of TB cases were reported among residents of correctional facilities at the time of diagnosis. And the reason why these places like jails are such good spreading zones for TB is because they're close quartered, the air is not filtered, and people are in very close proximity with other people. So you can't get TB just from touching somebody that has TB. It's not spread through touching. It's not spread through kissing. It's spread by inhaling the droplets that may contain the bacterium. So in very close quartered places like jails, it's very easy to spread TB to those around you, which is a, another place that you can often see TB outbreaks is in homeless populations or, or tent cities because these are another place where people are in close quarters with each other and they don't have access to a lot of the healthcare facilities or a lot of the medicines that can help them and so they keep continue going on and spreading the disease. But you know anyone can get TB and a lot of places such as 
crowded subways can be a really good breeding ground for TB as well. But often you need to be on the subway or in the facility with someone for a long period of time in order to contract it. TB is also often found with people that have HIV because it lowers your immune system. And so TB is one of the leading causes of death among people that are living with HIV. So it's not a disease of the past, although the story that we're talking about today is hopefully 100% in the past, but it's still something that we fear quite a lot in today's society, I would say. Exactly. So let's dive into, let's move away from the less serious TB talk and into the fantastical real world of Nightmare New England's micro moment of vampires. We are talking about monstrous microbes today, but what about alien microbes? Truparia, Radiovictris, Allobacillus halotolarians, and Immatechula halotolarians are not from outer space, but they are alien to the human microbiome. This week's episode of The Micro Moment is brought to you by Zymo Research, who offers products for the complete microbiome workflow, including spiking controls, consisting of unique species alien to the human body, enabling absolute quantification of microbes. Check out Zymo's complete microbiome product portfolio at zymoresearch.com. All right, so let's talk about New England vampires. First, let me set the stage. It's the 1790s, just 100 years after the Salem Witch Trials. America is a new nation, and the area is nowhere close to the population and development as it is today. And superstition and fear are prominent. A lot of people were still very rural, and the woods were thick, and the mind conjures up monsters in these dark wildernesses. Can you blame them? Death was still everywhere, and putting a face or name on it helps in mentally processing it. Everyone is guilty of this, even today. You can't tell me when you were a kid that you weren't terrified of the dark basement or attic. I know I was. I still am. <laughs> I would turn off the light and run up the stairs as fast as I could. <laughs> so, in New England, there were people who thought tuberculosis was caused by a vampire. More specifically, they thought that a relative that died of consumption had come back to life and was feeding off the remaining family members. This fear is bolstered by the fact that microbes spread to other family members due to being in such close proximity. Like you said, with the prisons, it's just like that. So many family members were affected. The vampires in New England resulted in exhumation of graves of these so-called vampires where heads had been chopped off and the hearts were often removed to be burned. Gruesome. Yeah. There were slight variations in this practice, too. Sometimes the bodies were flipped over in the grave. Sometimes their bones were placed as an X on the body, so it looked like a pirate uh, skull and bones. What does that mean? Like they ripped their arms off before buried them? Or ripped no. their legs off? Or they just put their arms crossed on their... 
Uh, I think it's they ripped off their body parts when they exhumed the bodies. Oh, right. So they've been dead for a bit. Yeah. They had to dig them up. It was probably like the family that had to dig them up too, right? So you like you lay your daughter to rest who died of tuberculosis, thinks she's a vampire, and so five years later you have to go dig up her dead bones. Or the community. Oh. Like it was a little bit of both. That's rough. It was thought that if these bodies had blood in them, that this was the sign of vampirism, that they were back from the dead and blood was flowing through them once again, whether it was their own or their victims. Now, I'm not sure how or why this started, but I did see that in my research there were articles and newspapers or pamphlets circulating at that time warning of these monsters and seeing how the victims were pale. I can kind of understand the thought that something was draining the blood from them, but then again, where were the bite marks? Mm. And I think I saw, like, they weren't exactly sure, but... These were superstitions that came from the old countries, like in Europe. So they just slowly circulated over here. Right. There are several stories of these events happening. The most famous was in 1892. Exactly 200 years after the Salem Witch Trial, huh? Exactly, yeah. Spooky coincidence. (laughs) Townspeople of Exeter, Rhode Island, dug up the bodies of Mary Brown and her daughters, Mary Olive and Mercy Lena. See, the husband, George Brown, was desperate at this point because his last child, Edwin, had become ill with consumption. So, despite the doctors claiming that it was not due to a vampire, the citizens dug up the graves and found blood in Mercy, who had been dead for several months. I have to note, though, that the weather had been cold, which would have slowed down decomposition. Mm. And that was possibly the reason why there was still quote-unquote blood in her Mm -hmm. and yet her heart was removed and burned i've also read in some places the same was done with her liver but i'm not entirely sure how accurate that is huh yeah liver doesn't make a lot of sense no heart i can sort of see i guess but maybe that's just because that's what pop culture has told me i should believe (laughs) but either case it's still gruesome for whatever reason they fed the ashes to Edwin. What? And what? Yeah. They baked him a cake, a witch cake with ashes? Like, what was this? Uh, I think they mixed it in liquid and, like, gave it to him. Did he know that he was eating dead people heart? I'm not sure. And is this his dead daughter, granddaughter? No, this is his dead sister. Oh, my gosh. So, if it, it were me, I would think that I would not have been told or else they'd be like, no, I'm not drinking this. Mm, Yeah, I think a lot of people would be like, I don't care about your superstitions. This is where I draw the line. Not eating my dead sister. Yeah, but he still passed away two months later. Well, that didn't work. No. Before we continue, though, do you have another clue for us? I do. So clue number two for our murderous micro moment. This person died at the age of 78 on November 7th, 1962, in New York City from aplastic anemia, tuberculosis, and heart failure. So, probably a vampire. <laughs> uh, that, that, that fits. Anemia, tuberculosis, and heart failure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, any clue at this point? No. 
Um, was this person married to anyone famous by chance? Yes. Oh. Hmm. Can I ask who it was, or is that it, the next clue? I mean, you can't ask who it was. Mm. They share right. a name. That <laughs> <laughs> make it too obvious. Okay. Hmm. Did they hold in an important position at all? Yes. Hmm. I feel like you know. Do you know? I have a suspicion, but I'm going to wait till the third clue. All right. I don't want to give it away too early. Mm. Do you know if it's a male or a female? I kind of think it's a female. Mm-hmm. I think I think you're on the right track here. I think you're on the right. right track. Back to our story. So eventually, the mysticism of vampires is extinguished. It was during this time, you know, the later 1800s, it was speculated that it could have been a hereditary disease, interestingly. This is just a side note. I mean, that kind of makes sense because everyone in the family is dying of the same disease. So right. that's not that's not too far off. Yeah. But in 1882, Robert Koch, the famous microbiologist, was able to isolate and prove that this disease was caused by bacteria. Ooh. In fact, two years later, he released another paper on tuberculosis where he developed the famous Koch's postulates, which is still an integral part of studying and discovering the causes of infections today. Mm-hmm. It's a must-know in the world of micro. And I just want to quickly say them because, you know, they're so important. And it's a must-know in the world of micro. Yep. So there's four steps. First, the microbe has to be found in all organisms suffering from the disease but it shouldn't be found in any healthy organisms. Two, it has to be isolated from a disease organism and grown in pure culture. Three, the cultured microbe should cause disease when introduced into a healthy organism. And four, the microbe must be re-isolated from the inoculated diseased experimental host and identified as being the identical microbe to the original one. So there's a little caveat. I think this is the very first, the very original. I think the only thing that was changed was should not be found in healthy organisms. I think that's because, you know, some people have natural immunity to diseases. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't see any um, symptoms or stuff like that. But overall, this is still solid and true today. Yeah, and they've just kind of modified it for the now molecular world that we live in. Right. And once it was discovered, like I said, the speculation faded away, and it was replaced by the idea that it was a public threat. Eventually, we did develop antibiotics to treat it, but it turned out that a cocktail of different antibiotics were needed because mycobacterium tuberculosis developed resistance so quickly to any single one. It's a hardy bug. It is. A hardy microbe. I hate the word bug. (laughs) I also want to say that the graves of the quote-unquote vampires are being rediscovered still today. Really? Yeah. And I think that's because a lot of them are unmarked mm. and were just lost to time. So I mean like people are like digging for houses or whatever and then they find dead bones? Yeah. Well, so in the 1990s, there's these children that were playing near a gravel mine mm-hmm. and they found bones of people. Oh my God, that's terrifying. Yeah. 
And I don't know who the serial killer was, but they thought it was a a local serial killer that had killed these people. But forensic analysis showed them to be dead for over a century. Wow. And they were able to trace back eventually these bones to people that that died of consumption. I think they were able to find traces of tuberculosis on the bones. And to date, there have been over 80 exhumations of these bodies, but there are likely more to be found. Is that 80 in the New England area or 80 in America or 80 in the world? I kind of think it's more than 80 in the world. I think it's 80 in New England. Interesting. That's quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, so the story I told you before was just one. There was like 12 vampire scares in New England. Wow. All in the 19th century there? 18th and 19th century. And it spanned like Vermont, Connecticut, Rhode Island. Like it spanned New England. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it, it, you know, it all ended the same day. Tried to kill a vampire and no one was cured. Can't imagine why. And that's my story of vampires in New England. Cool. Exciting. I have another vampire story that links Halloween horrors with the microbes. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, this is Dracula of the Unseen World. Dracula of the Unseen World? What does that have to do with vampires? so, So the Unseen World is our microbial world. And there is one species that, well, there's a couple species, but there's one species in particular that has a lot of Dracula-like qualities. So parasites are organisms that have a very disturbing yet fascinating life cycle. Like vampires, they feed off the living for their own survival, sometimes by literally sucking the life from their prey. This same behavior exists at the microbial scale with our Dracula of the microbe world, Microvibrio species. These microbes search for their victims and grip the cell, leaching nutrients from its prey, feeding off the life source of their own survival, just like a vampire. Lucky for us, their ideal meal is not mammals, but microbes. Many of their favorite dishes are microbes from that are harmful to mammals. Interestingly, it is unable to replicate with its, without its host. The death of another is the only way for it to survive. Despite this highly dependent nature, microvibrio species actually has all the genes it needs to function metabolically. Given these specificities and affinity to some human pathogens, they may be a great target alternative to broad-spectrum antibiotics, which kill the good along with the bad microbes in your gut. So by using these vampire microbes or Dracula-like microbes, we might be able to find living antibiotics as a therapy for humans. In fact, one study saw a hundredfold reduction in biofilm cell viability when Microvibrio aeruginosavirus was mixed with pathogen Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Biofilms are a sticky protective coat that the microbes can produce to protect themselves, and these biofilms can enhance the microbes' protection from antimicrobial by up to a thousand percent. Damn. So the ability to not only prey on P. originosa, but also to disrupt its protective shield makes this sneaky Dracula microbe a very viable option to control this human pathogen. That's pretty cool. It sounds a little similar to phage therapy. 
Yeah, it's sort of like phage therapy, but with a microbe or with yeah. a bacteria to fight another bacteria. Exactly. Do you want to hear another study? Yes. So in another study, which was used a mouse model, they showed introducing the vampire into the mouse did not produce any negative effects, which is, of course, important. If you're going to develop this living antibiotic, you have to ensure it's not going to hurt the host. Furthermore, the mouse immune system was not triggered and was able to flush out the microbe from its system eventually. This means that microvibrio species is potentially safe to use as a therapeutic, as they are non-toxic to mammals, an enemy to our enemy, and they do not linger or outstay their welcome in our bodies. Right, if they don't have that potential pathogen to feed off of, it's not going to stay in our bodies anymore. Yeah, so there you go. A Halloween monster that may may have therapeutic qualities. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So you ready for clue number three? This one I think totally gives it away. All right, I'm ready. So for our murderous micro moment, so far we know this person was killed by tuberculosis mm-hmm. in 1962. And that they had a mother who died of diphtheria when they were eight. And you suspect that this person is a woman and is married to someone who's very famous. Yes. All right. So clue number three. In 1921, her husband was diagnosed with polio, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. Polio is another disease that was very common among children, like diphtheria, but is not something we worry about today too much in America anymore because of the polio vaccine that Dr. Jonas Salk created in 1953. So, John, were you right? I think so. Who is this week's murderous micro moment about? Is it? It sure is. All that stuff is micro moment well microbial nation we hope you enjoyed the show and if you think you know who this week's murderous micro moment is about as always you can send us an email at microbigals at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter instagram or facebook at microbigals that's m-i-c-r-o-b-i-g-a-l-s if you have an idea for our next Murder is micro moments. Send us an email. We'd love to give you a shout out and feature your famous person on the show. If you'd like to hear more episodes of the micro moment, remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope you enjoy the show and keep listening. But until next time, bye. bye.